Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 6 tonight. Joshua chapter number 6. There is a thought that has been sort of orbiting in my mind over the past uh, few weeks. And, uh, the, you know, a lot of times as a preacher, you'll have a thought that'll, that'll strike you, that you'll think about, and it'll just sort of hang out in your head. And when you got as much empty real estate as I do up here, a lot of thoughts will hang out. Amen. And, uh, you'll, you'll just, it'll, it'll live there for a little while and then God will slowly begin as you meditate on, as you pray over it, as you think on it, he'll slowly begin to, to let things take shape. And, uh, so I've been thinking about this, this thought. I want to share it with you tonight with the Lord's help. And, uh, let me say I want to thank the Lord for his goodness. I appreciate him meeting with us today and, uh, praying and trusting he'll do the same tonight. Joshua chapter number six. Verse number 6, Joshua chapter 6, verse number 6. If you're a student of the Bible, you know where they are. They're standing outside the uh, walls of the formidable city of Jericho. And the Bible says, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and come past the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. The ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets and the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpet. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. We'll stop reading there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in your house, Lord. What a blessing it was to meet with your people, and more than that, to meet with you this morning. We're asking, Father, that you'd meet with us once again, that you'd stir hearts, Lord, that you'd give us comfort, that you would uh, correct us where we need correction, Lord, uh, comfort us where we need comfort, Lord, abase us where we need to be abased, and, and encourage us where we need encouragement. Lord, I do pray especially for this family suffered such a sudden and tragic and devastating loss. 
I pray that You'd give them the comfort that only comes from the God of all comfort. That You'd wrap Your arms around them, Lord. Give them the strength for their days that they so desperately need. And help us as a church family to love them and pray for them and to be there for them. Lord, we love You. We thank You for the truth of the Word of God. We thank You for this great opportunity tonight to meet with You. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When you read through the history of the children of Israel from their exodus from Egypt all the way until their settling in the land of Canaan, you will find that they had faced a series of obstacles and problems. Some of them were large and, and vast like the Red Sea that was in front of them that God parted before them. Some of them were seemingly small or, or uh, seemingly uh, insignificant. There were times when they would run into some small chieftain that would stand against them. God would have to strike him down and give them victory. But when we come to Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites were facing a major problem that they could not solve. That problem had a name and its name was Jericho. I think sometimes when we read the story of the, of the falling of the walls of Jericho, we just view it as God sort of flexing His strength. We sort of imagine it as though Jericho was one of a myriad of places all similar throughout the land of Canaan and, and God just did a miracle and that's why we're hearing about it, no other reason. But if you were to study the land of Canaan, you would find that in fact Jericho was the first major battle that they had to fight. And had they not fought the battle at Jericho, had God not thrown down the walls, their conquest of the land of Canaan would have been impossible. The stakes are unimaginably high when you come to Joshua chapter number 6. It is not merely uh, the uh, gravy on top of the biscuits. It's not just the cherry on top of the banana split. If they don't get Jericho conquered then their entire will of God, the plan for their life, was entirely for them. And so, when we come to this passage, it's not just a uh, sensational passage, but it is an essential passage to understanding what God was doing there. Now, Jericho itself, as a people and as a city, was not necessarily formidable. The people, the armies, the military. But Jericho had done something in its history right. They had built a massive, impregnable wall around their city. And now the Israelites are approaching this wall. And their problem is not just Jericho. They could handle Jericho. But there's a wall between them and the solution to their problem. And they don't know what to do about it. In fact, we could say this. They had run into a wall both figuratively and literally. Here they stood in the shadow of this behemoth wall with, humanly speaking, no plan for how to tackle it. We could say three things about this problem that they were facing. And I bet if you think about it, you've probably got some walls of Jericho in your life as well. When we think of it figuratively as a problem that we're facing. I would say, number one tonight, that it was an impassable wall. Now somebody's going to say, well now preacher, how could it be impassable? They walked around it like 13 times. I understand. But what I mean by that is this was a problem that could not merely be overlooked. They couldn't say, well, we'll get the rest of the cities, but Jericho, we'll just have to leave that alone. They couldn't just live with this problem. Sometimes in your life, you're going to face problems that cannot be overlooked. Things that try as you may, you can't just block it out of your mind. You can't just forget that it's, it's facing you. You can't just ignore that this thing is in your life. And it is something that if God doesn't do something about it, it's going to consume your life. 
It was an impassable problem. It could not be overlooked. Number two, it was not only impassable, but it was impregnable. We could say it this way. It could not be overlooked. But then number two, it could not be overrun. The wall was too big for them to just, uh, through sheer force of will and brute strength, pull it down or climb over top of it. Were they to try to build ladders and, and lay them up against the wall, then the people of Jericho would have been waiting up top, no doubt with stones and, and obstacles, maybe boiling oil and things of that sort, maybe arrows of fire that would be rained upon them. And so it wasn't as simple as just saying, work harder to tear the wall down. They could have worked as hard as they wanted and they would have never thrown that wall down. I, I listen, I, I don't think me, I don't think I'm going to like saying this. I don't think you're going to like hearing it, but here's the truth of the matter. You're going to face problems sometime in your life that it's not just a matter of doubling down and working harder. You're going to face things sometimes that if God don't throw it down, it ain't going to be thrown down. And there, I, I've had times in my life, I bet you have too, when you have come up against a problem and you thought, well, I'm just going to roll up my sleeve and I'm going to double down and I'm going to hunker down and I'm just going to blow through this problem. I'm going to push through. I'm going to make it work. Only to find yourself disheartened, discouraged, and ready to quit altogether. They could have shattered their people on that wall and never moved one stone up. It was impregnable. They couldn't ignore it. They couldn't overlook it. They couldn't overrun it. And I would say this, that standing in the shadow of that city, it would have been easy for them to look and say it was an impossible obstacle. I would say that humanly speaking, if they can't tear it down, if they can't go under, if they can't go on the other side of it, on either side of it, if they, if they can't go above it, they can't go through it, they can't go underneath it, here they are and they cannot ignore it. It has become an impassable, impregnable, and impossible obstacle for them. And so God reveals to them a plan. I'll go ahead and tell you, and I don't think I'm being irreverent to the Lord when I say that this plan, humanly speaking, is ridiculous. It's a foolish plan, humanly speaking. There's no reason to believe that they should have been able to walk around this wall, blow trumpets, shout her out, and watch this wall tumble. And yet when we come down to verse number 20, the Bible says, so when the, so the people shouted, when the priest blew with the trumpets and it came to pass and the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. What I'm interested in tonight, though, is the interim of time between when they see this city and receive instruction from the Lord as to what they're to do and the moment when God topples. And you know what these people are doing. I want you to listen carefully. They spend seven days circling their problem. If you ever face something in your life and you couldn't get away from it and you couldn't conquer it, and so you just found yourself walking around it day in and day out. So what do you mean, preacher, thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, trying to find a solution, trying to find some different uh, perspective or some different strategy of somehow how you can handle it. And it would be easy to say, and we all say it. We say it to other people. People say it to us when we're facing problems. We all say, well, just don't worry about it. Put it in the hands of the Lord. And there are some things that's very easy to do with. But listen, my friend, there are some things that it just consumes your entire world. And you don't know what to do, but just keep walking around it, walking around it, staring at it, looking at it, studying it, trying to find some way to solve it. They were not living disobediently in what they were doing. In fact, they were directly following the command of the Lord. Could you imagine that for that uh, seven days, every time they walked around that city, probably all they could do, they couldn't talk, 
Probably all they did was just stare at that wall, count the stones, and take inventory of how impossible this problem was to solve. Now, here they are circling their problem. Sometimes in your life, in my life, we find ourselves facing a a problem that in our world is of similar magnitude. And all there is left to do is just walk around it and pray and wait on God. Now I want you to think about the things that were commanded to them. There are five commands, principles, that are given to the children of Israel for this period of time in which they're circling their problem. Here's the thought I really want you to get tonight. While you're circling problems, here are some things you need to keep in mind. Well, you're facing things that you don't know how to overcome and you don't know what to do and, and you really don't have a strategy. You're just praying and you're waiting on God to move and to change the situation. Here's five things I want to encourage you to keep at the focal point of your heart and of your mind. Notice with me verse number eight. The Bible says this, and it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. Now notice verse 9. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets. And the re-reward. Now, that, that's a that's a military term. It, it, it has to do with the, the rear guard, the people that follow afterwards. And it says the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. Now here's the way you can picture that line is beginning to be formed. And there is a van or a, a front guard that is set at the front of this, uh, of this line. And it's their responsibility, were there to be anybody, were there to be a, a you know, a, a sally come forth out of the, out of the walls, they were to cut it off and to stop them from running into the front of that line. Behind them are the priests, they're blowing the trumpet. They're sort of the processional, ceremonially speaking. And behind that were some priests that were carrying the ark of the Lord. And then behind those uh, people, behind those priests, behind the ark of the Lord, there's the re-reward, the rear guard that's coming up with them. You know, here's what I think about. Here's this big long line of people that's marching around the city. And where do you find God in all of that? He's right smack in the middle of that whole company of people. I would say this tonight, number one, while you're circling your problems, maintain God's presence in the midst of your life. The Ark of the Covenant was the tangible representation of God's presence with His people Israel. The Ark of the Covenant was the place with the mercy seat on top that when it was set in the holiest of holy places in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement when the Shekinah glory of God would appear over the tabernacle and God would observe and show respect to the sacrifice that had been given, it would sit down on that mercy seat where the blood had been applied. It was the most, it was the most strong, explicit, visible representation of God being in the midst of His people. And as they march around this, God says, I want to be right in the middle of this company. Can I tell you what happens in our lives very often? When we find ourselves discouraged, disheartened, and our world consumed by a problem we cannot solve, we often allow our walk with the Lord to slip and to decline. We get so discouraged, we quit praying. We get so disheartened, we quit reading the Bible. We get so down now, we just quit going to church. And all we're doing is exacerbating, all we're doing is making worse the disheartening discouragement that we are already feeling. You say, preacher, i got this problem, I don't know what to do about it. Well, I'll tell you one thing to not do about it. Be sure you don't quit on God in the middle of it. 
keep God in the middle of your life. Now, I understand we've talked about this at length, that there's a difference between the implicit presence of God, or, or what we were, rather the explicit presence of God, and then what we call the experiential presence. The explicit presence is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is explicitly with us at all times. But then there's that experiential presence. There's that feeling and knowing that God is in the midst. Being in communion and fellowship with Him, such that you can sense and tell that He's present with you. Don't lose that when things go sideways. It's easy during that time to just get so disheartened that you quit. I, I, I thought about this. There's two groups of people, right? This is a whole processional. It's a whole daisy chain of individuals that are walking here. And so I'm sure that Joshua, we are only given the bullet points of his commands and instructions, but I'm sure as they're planning out this processional that Joshua probably looked at those fellows in front and said, now listen, boys, don't you march too fast. Don't leave the ark behind you. Don't get so far ahead of these priests carrying the Lord that you leave him behind. Sometimes in our zeal to fix our problems, and listen, there, there is there is no problem uh, that is that is so strong and so secure. There's no thing in the world that is so stable that a little fixing won't tear it up. Amen. We come to problems and we begin to tinker and we begin to meddle and we begin to try to fix. And before we know it, man, we've got ten times the mess that it was when we first walked up to it. You know, very often in that zeal to try to push through, to try to soldier on. To try to muscle through that wall that we can't get through. We wind up leaving God behind in the whole thing. We get ahead of Him. We begin to go about our own plans, our own strategies, our own focuses. And we just quit asking how God feels about the whole endeavor. You ever prayed so hard for something? I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Listen with grace when I say this. I don't know if I'm going to say it right. You ever prayed so hard about something you forgot to let God know about it? You ever prayed so hard about something, spent so much time telling God what He has to do that you didn't take time to listen to what He said He was going to do? Get so obsessed with fixing this thing and solving it and, and rolling those sleeves up and determine that we're going to fix this thing that you never stop and say, now Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? Don't leave Him behind. But now then there's another group, that re-reward. And I'm sure that Joshua probably went to these fellows and said, now listen, the, the you know the the van the the, the front they're, they're they're going out and, and they're in the front and, and the priests they're going to be following them but now fellas you're the rear guard you're the rear reward and you need to make sure that you don't linger behind when the processional moves forward don't march so slow that you let God out of your sight keep up with him stay with him we could describe it this way in the book of Jonah is the perfect example of the danger of slow obedience. You know, Jonah finally did obey the Lord after a storm and a fish, <laughs> after dying and coming back. He eventually followed the Lord, but he just made God drag him along every step of the way, and it made shipwreck of his life, both figuratively and literally. You know, the great danger often then on the other side, there is, there is a risk that we say, now, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, I'm going to fix this thing, and we never stop and say, now, Lord, I need you to lead in my life. I need you to do this thing. But the other danger is this, that as God leads us forward, and why was he leading them forward? Because he planned on throwing them walls down. As he leads us forward, we get so complacent, we get so timid and fearful of facing that problem that we are unwilling to, in faith, follow God and see him bring a victory. Right, let's just make it real simple. Don't leave him behind. Don't linger back. 
Stay right with God while you circle your problem. Not only that, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall you shout. This is a fascinating command to me. This is not a command of the Lord. The Bible says Joshua commanded this. God never commanded them to keep silence as they marched around the wall. But Joshua does. And you might say, well, preacher, why would Joshua be so presumptuous as to tell them to keep their silence while they march? One simple reason. Joshua knew them. He said, now listen, folks, whatever you do, don't flap him gums while we're out there. You're going to make a mess of things. Why is it that they would be commanded to do this? And I would say the second point is this. The first is maintain God's presence in the midst. But number two is maintain their silence on the march. He said, don't say anything until the day I tell you to say something. And then when I tell you, you just shout for victory. Why were they commanded to not say anything? Well, you can imagine what it would be like for these people marching around the wall. You can imagine in the, in, in the, in the fever rush of, 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 of war and, and with their adrenaline pumping at the prospect that God is going to throw down this wall. There's probably a, a temptation that they would begin to gloat over the enemy. They'd probably sit there and look at them and say, listen, I know we look silly now, but you just wait and see. Here in a few days, God's going to throw down this wall and I'm going to be the one that cuts your throat myself. Maybe as a Baptist would have said it that way. Methodist would have been nicer. That they would have begun to boast. That they would have begun with bravado, with pride to be lifted up. And in doing so, they would have made the battle about them and not about the Lord. Can I tell you, I'm going to say this to me because I'm being real nice. Toby, you talk too much. That feels good, don't it? You've been wanting to say it for years, and I just said it for you. Sometimes we get into problems. We want to talk it to death. Now, I don't think God begrudges us getting help and encouragement from somebody. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we have to bottle up every problem that we have. That we I, One of the great blessings of the local New Testament church, hey, it's a command of the Lord. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the, the law of Christ. I mean, it, it's a biblical thing for us to share our burdens with one another. Man, sometimes if we ain't careful, we will absolutely talk a problem to death without ever talking to the Lord about that problem. I'll tell you why he didn't want them talking. He didn't want them saying something they was going to regret. He didn't want them acting the fool out there. He didn't want them taking the attention off God and putting them on themselves. He didn't want them to be walking around gloating. Sometimes as we go through our problems, we make our problems about, about how it magnifies us instead of how it magnifies the Lord. Sometimes we can, in the midst of it, wear our problems like a war medal and make it a point of carnal boasting instead of using it to uplift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he was uh, worried about them gloating. And he said this, don't say anything while you're marching around that wall because we don't want to give a bad testimony. And let me say, while we certainly should be able to bear one another's burdens, share the things that we're going through, we need to be careful that we don't talk so much of our problems that we give the impression that God is a poor God. We need to be mindful. There, there's a danger there. And that brings me to my second thing. There's probably two ways. Go to day number one, and I can see them marching around the wall. And I can see them people of Jericho looking down, 
laughing at them, spitting on them, you know, like mocking them, maybe maybe throwing things down at them. And I could see, if Joshua would let them talk, I could see him bowing up on them and say, you just wait here in about seven days, we're going to come pouring over that broken wall and I'm going to kill you. I can just see that. But now fast forward to day six. Day six, they're weary. They've listened to this abuse for, for six days now. They're marching around the city. They're disheartened. They're discouraged. They're disoriented. And I'm betting they wouldn't have been gloating, but here's what I bet they would have been doing. They would have been grumbling. They probably would have started complaining. They probably would have started murmuring. You know, murmuring is an infectious thing. Complaining is an infectious thing. One person starts grumbling, complaining, and that thing can spread like wildfire if they feel like they have a shared common cause of their misery. And I'd say Joshua, he didn't want them talking, not just because he didn't want them gloating and being prideful and having a bad testimony, but he did not want whatever dispiriting thoughts that they were having spreading throughout that group. He wanted them to maintain enthusiasm and encouragement in the midst of this endeavor. And I would say this, again, man, sometimes we talk a problem to death, and sometimes we can talk a problem into being more hopeless than what it really is. There's nothing you've ever faced too big for God to handle. But we can we can add to that tendency for our problems to consume our world if in the midst of it we then draw other people in and make them companions in our misery and make them initiate them into our sorrows and our heartache. Again, I'm not saying we can't share burdens with one another, but let's make sure that as we're sharing our problems, we're also sharing praise and talking about the goodness of God. In other words, in our problems, during our problems, just as at every other time in our life, we ought to be circumspect with the things that we say. We ought to be careful of allowing our tongue too much leash to do what it would desire to do instead of keeping it under and keeping it subjected to the authority of Christ. You know why? Because it can affect not just us, it can affect others. He commands them to maintain their silence on the march. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, so the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And I like this verse 13. Seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn went before the ark of the Lord. They went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpets. That was the first day. And the second day, the Bible says, uh, they can pass the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. It was the second day. The first day is described, and it's this laundry list. They did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. In the passage we just read, the second day is described. You know what it looks like? It looks like the first day. And it was so identical that the Bible don't even record the third day. You know why? Because the third day looked like the first and second day. Don't even record the fourth day because it looked like the first three days. The fifth day would have been a waste of time to say because it looked like the first four. And the sixth day looked identical, just the same. And it's summarized in the usage of that word. You know what they did? They went on continually. Continually. You say, preacher, what do I do? I'm, I, I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. I'm just, I, my world is consumed. All I can see is the wall of this problem in front of me. Well, listen, maintain God's presence in the midst. Maintain your silence on the march. But number three, maintain your obedience in the meantime. Here's what they did. They kept obeying the Lord. Their commands that were giving, given to them were inexplicable and tedious. They were arduous responsibilities. 
it would not have been easy to do what they were doing, to march around that city. And they would have been completely at a loss as to how this was helping or contributing to the thing that they were facing. In fact, probably, if you had asked them, if you had said, why are you walking around this city? They probably wouldn't have said, because if we do this, like God said, then the walls are going to fall. They would have probably merely said, I don't know. This is what Joshua commanded. And Joshua is the servant of the Lord. And so we're doing as we're commanded. Can I tell you that obedience is always a necessary component for the will and work of God. God cannot accomplish anything and bless us through our disobedience. Now, thankfully, in His providence, He accomplishes a lot of things through our disobedience. But He cannot do it and bless us and advance us through our disobedience. And sometimes in your life, you won't be able to draw a straight line between your obedience and your success. But rest assured, that line is there. They could not have explained why walking around that city was going to throw that wall down. But you and I, reading this inspired King James Bible, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what threw them walls down was the power of God in honor of and response to their obedience in this command. You know, you'd be surprised sometimes in your life, the problems you're facing, that oftentimes won't be conquered, won't be settled, won't be solved, because you will not in another area of your life be obedient to the Lord. And you'd look at it and say, why not? Those two things can't be connected. But how many times have we seen God do this in other areas? Man, some of our people, faithful to witness and so on, they can tell you this, they've seen this a thousand times. They've gone out and handed out hundreds of tracts and not seen those people walk through the doors, but seen God bring other people that they've never met before in response. What's happening there? God's honoring obedience. And we may not see a connection. We may say, well, now, I gave a track to somebody down to Dollar General, and this other person walked through the door, and I've never met him before in my life. I don't know where they come from. We don't see the line between our obedience and the solution, but rest assured that line is there. So listen, while you're circling your problems, maintain your obedience to the Lord. Notice they were, number one, they were continual in their obedience. They didn't slack off. They didn't give up. They didn't give out. Every day they did just as God commanded, just as God instructed, and they did it with diligence. Man, it's so easy when we're facing problems that won't go away to give ourselves a little bit of a break. You know, you know how our flesh does. Our flesh will say, man, you're going through so much. I mean, you know, you're having such a hard time. Take it easy on yourself. If you want to indulge that sin a little bit, God won't begrudge it to you. If you want to quit quit serving the Lord or, or quit obeying the Lord in this area, if you want to quit reading your Bible, listen, if you want to get the prayer calls to break, nobody blame you. Your prayers haven't been answered much. But, I mean, nobody blame you. know how our flesh is. Our flesh come along and, and, and convince us that it's okay to lapse in our obedience to the Lord. Because of this, it's so vital. And because of this in your life and mine, it's so vital that we understand that our success is directly connected to our willingness to give God glory in our life and obey Him in the choices we make. They were continual in their obedience. Not like this, they were careful in their obedience. It says on the, at verse 15, it says, And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Did you notice that phrase? After the same manner. Seven times. So not only were they continual in their obedience, but they were careful in their obedience. Yeah, I, I don't know how you would have been. I know how I would have been. About the time you got to that seventh day, I've been looking for shortcuts. 
I mean, I've been saying, maybe I can hide behind a rock and just take a, take a break on this, this lap around. I'll catch up with them on the next one. Won't nobody be the wiser. I would have been finding some reason that I could have paused, that I could have rested, that I could have deviated, that I could have gone to the right hand or to the left. But that's not what they did. They were careful in their obedience. They didn't allow themselves loose standards just because they were facing a problem that was formidable. Sometimes, and I don't want to get in the weeds here, but this is what's happened to a lot of modern day Christianity. A lot of churches have looked at it and said we're hemorrhaging people, we're hemorrhaging money. Uh, it's not popular to be an old time Christian anymore. And since we're place facing that problem, we're just going to go ahead and lower our standards. And God will surely understand because after all, what God really needs is more people and money. <laughs> you say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying there's a whole philosophy of this today. Of if there's a problem that we're not happy with the speed or, or strategy of God's help, that it's okay to then lower our standards, be carnal in our approach, take it into our own hands and do it in our own way. And God will understand. And if He didn't, He should have just shaped up and fixed it for us in the first place. Listen, that's not the way for God to get glory out of your life. And the reason we exist is to be found under the praise of the honor of His glory. That, that, that's not why we exist is just to, to get the, the quickest, easiest solution possible through human means, but for God to get glory out of our life. Imagine if on day four they had said, enough of this nonsense, let's go get the pickaxes and the shovels and let's tear this thing down. I'll tell you this, there wouldn't be nothing to read about in, jo in Joshua chapter 6. Nothing but a bunch of quitters that wouldn't trust God to do it in God's time and God's way. But we're here preaching tonight because they were willing to continue obeying God even when it was not easy. So maintain your obedience in the meantime. Look at verse 16. I like this. It says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priest blew with the trumpet, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Seven days, nobody said a word. I can tell you how I would be. I don't know how you would be. I can tell you how I would be. That command, don't say anything, that would have absorbed my mind. I thought, I can't go seven days without saying something. And I would have immediately forgot the command that followed. Where Joshua said, on that seventh day, you're going to shout, you're going to shout for victory. And when Joshua said, shout, I would have went, what? Who? Who? I want to know what he was talking about. I would have plumb forgot that we was going to shout on the seventh day. Somebody would have needed to text me and remind me Preacher, today's the day we shout, don't forget. I'd have forgot about it, man. You know who wouldn't have forgot about it? The people that really believed in their heart of hearts that come the seventh day, that wall was coming down. I would say it this way, while you're circling your problems, maintain confidence in his methods. You know, for seven days, they had to maintain enthusiasm and faith that when they shouted, then walls was going to come down. It would have been very easy on that seventh day to say, shout, we've been walking seven days, I'm wore out, I'm tired, and it didn't fall the first 12 times, why would it fall this time? But if God's plan was going to be executed, they had to have enough gumption, they had to have, have had to have enough excitement, uh, uh, enough about them, that on that set, they was willing to shout when it was time to shout. Notice what it says, it does not say the walls fell and they shouted, they shouted, and then the walls fell. What he says is, don't talk this thing to death. Don't run your mouth walking around the wall. You wait, and when the moment comes to express your faith in the Lord, 
you go ahead and shout that God has given you the victory. This was a shout, not not a shout of victory per se. It was a shout of faith over the victory they believed God was going to give. In other words, before the walls fell, he said, now it's time to shout because you know and you believe in your heart of hearts that God is going to take that wall down. I would say two things are here. The first is don't lose your excitement just because you're circling your problems. Man, it's easy to do. It's easy to get discouraged. I get discouraged. You get discouraged. It's always aggravated me. I, I'm just going to confession's good for the soul. I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But I bow up every time it says we should never be discouraged. I just do. Every time we sing, I know we shouldn't, but I know I sure enough am sometimes. I always think to myself, whoever wrote that song, you so spiritual, right? We should never be discouraged. Well, why don't you just pray for poor old carnal people like me to get discouraged sometimes? Sure, it'd be great if we never were. But the truth is, it's easy to get discouraged. Man, I, I think about, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to explore to capitalize on anybody's suffering, but I, I think about these sweet people that lost their son today. And I don't know about you, maybe you got nerve enough to do it, but I don't have nerve enough to sit across from people like that and say, now don't be discouraged. Sure, we're going to get disheartened. Sure, we're going to deal with things. Sure, our heart's going to break into a thousand pieces. And it's imperative in the midst of all of that that we don't lose our excitement for the Lord. That we keep remembering how great He is, how wonderful He is, how glorious He is. That we never lose the wonder of it all. That we never get over how amazing that He is. So in the midst of it, I know it's easy to do, but don't lose your excitement. Then too, don't lose your expectation. It says, for the Lord hath given you the city. Isn't that amazing how Joshua says that? The Lord hath. This is on day one. The Lord hath. Not He will. He hath given you the city. That was the conviction with which they marched around the cities, the walls of the city of Jericho. Not maybe God will. Not probably God will. Not even God promises He will. God already has. We're just waiting for the wall to find out about it. They, they believe, they marched confident that God was going to do that work. And sometimes, man, when that, when that answer is long waited for, when you've been praying, when you've been begging God, when you've been bathing Him with tears, it's easy to just get to the place where you just lose hope and you say, God ain't never going to answer. Let God speak for Himself. If God has said no, take Him at His word. But if He hadn't, don't put words in His mouth. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep seeking Him. Maintain your confidence in His method. And then look at verse 17. I thought this was interesting. It says, the city shall be accursed. Remember, Joshua, he's saying this right before they shout. This is part of the whole shout for the Lord hath given you the city. And he continues on, and he's giving them instruction. He says, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein. To the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and trouble it. But all the silver and golden vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Why does Joshua give this instruction? Probably by this time, everybody in the camp of Israel knew who Rahab was. They had heard of her faith. They had heard of God's vow and God's promise. 
probably prior to them ever getting to this place, it had already been said. God had already given the instruction that everything in that city was to be left unto Him. Probably they already knew this. But here's what He's doing. He's reminding them. Because in the fervor of battle, it's easy to lose your head and to do things that you're later on going to regret. I would say it this way. Maintain your prudence in the mayhem. As you're waiting on God to answer, don't lose sight of God's commandment. And when the day comes of victory, don't cast caution to the wind and lose your testimony in the middle of it all. There's two types of dangers here. One, he gives them this instruction in restraining aggression. They're getting ready to pour through that city like water. And they were commanded to kill everything that moved. And Joshua knew that in the midst of all that, there was a great danger that somebody would happen upon Rahab and her family and slay them in the midst of the excitement of battle. But here's what he reminds them of. Don't ever forget, boys, Rahab ain't on their side. Rahab's on our side. And God has promised her that she's going to be spared. Ah, uh, You may not be like me. I hope you're not. I hope you're more spiritual than me. Sometimes when we grow discouraged, we take it out on the wrong people. Sometimes we make enemies out of folks that's just trying to help us. Sometimes we punish people that's just trying to encourage us. And sometimes in the midst of it, it's easy to lose sight of who the enemy really is. Can I tell you this? You have an adversary, and it ain't the person sitting next to you. That adversary is the devil. He walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So easy to make people. Sometimes they do things foolishly. Sometimes they do it inconsiderately. But when you're talking about church folks, rarely is it done maliciously. I'm just, I'm giving you a little bit of, uh, of the short experience I've had. I, I, I mean, rarely, very few people show up to church trying to hurt somebody's feelings. It's rare. Most of the time in the midst of our suffering, most of the time those people that love you, they ain't saying what they say because they want to hurt you more. They're hurting because you're hurting. And they're just doing what they can. And sometimes it's fumble-fingered. Sometimes they don't know how to do it. Don't forget that those people, they ain't in your life because they hate you. They're there because they love you. And I know it's easy in the discouragement and disheartenment that you feel to sometimes lash out at folks. But understand that in doing so, you're not only destroying them, you're dishonoring the Lord. Why would it have been such a tragedy if they had slain Rahab? Not because Rahab would not have existed in the world. Not even because it would have been a moral crime. There's a very simple reason. They would have been breaking God's promise. By the way, Rahab winds up in the lineage of the Messiah. She does. Her and her husband Salmon, they, they, they have a, a little boy by the name of, uh, of, of Boaz, or a grandson, I can't remember which, by the name of, of Boaz, and he goes on to marry a little a Moabitess girl by the name of Ruth. And from them comes uh, Jesse, the father of David. You can just line it out from there. But even setting all that aside, the great tragedy is this. God has promised Rahab deliverance. And imagine if in the midst of it they had put a stain on the testimony and name of the Lord God of Israel. The great danger in us lashing out, losing our, our temper, losing perspective, is not just that we might hurt somebody's feelings, it's that we might do damage to the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in restraining aggression, then number two, he, he needed to give them counsel in resisting temptation. The Lord is very clear. Everything in that city belongs to Him, not to them. 
But now he knew. Joshua knew. Joshua is a seasoned military man. He's seen this situation a thousand times. And he knows in the fervor of battle, it's going to be hard to keep some of them fellas from grabbing, oh, I don't know, a little gold, a little wedge of silver maybe. Maybe if they see a Babylonian garment and take it and bring it back to their tent and dig a hole and hide it under the floor. <laughs> you know your Bible. You know we're talking about Achan. Because very often it's easy in the midst, either either in, in the crisis of our problem or sometimes when the clouds have passed. Oftentimes, man, we've been consecrated through that whole battle. But we get on the other side of the mountain. We feel the pressure leave us. And we begin to let our guard down. And we begin to open the door for the flesh and the devil in the world. Joshua knew. He knew this was a danger. So here's what he's saying. Boys, keep your head about you. Don't, don't, don't just run around mindlessly striking out. Take the time to stop, to consider, pay attention to the face of the person that you're getting ready to slay and make sure that you're taking your aggression towards the right people. Make sure that if you're lashing out, you're lashing out at the enemy. Can I give you a real simple piece of advice that will save you a lot of heartache in life? Make sure if you're going to get mad at somebody, you're getting mad at the devil. You say, but preacher, there's some folks did some things to make me mad. Yeah, probably. You've probably done some things to make other folks mad. But here's a safe bet. Just get mad at the devil. He always deserves it. Keep your eye, keep your perspective right, and make sure that you keep your testimony clean. Five things we preach them tonight. Maintain God's presence in the midst. Don't, don't get too far ahead. Don't get too far behind. Maintain silence on the march. Don't glow. Don't be lifted up in pride. Don't make it about you. Don't take the attention off the Lord Jesus. And don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't give the world or other Christians the idea that you think He's a bad God. Maintain your obedience. In the meantime, be continual. Don't give up. Be careful. Keep your testimony uh, diligently. Maintain your confidence in His methods. Man, don't lose your excitement. Don't lose your expectation. God keeps His promises. You can rely on Him and maintain your prudence in the mayhem. Make sure that as you circle your problem, your Christian life don't wind up circling the drain too. Make sure that you keep your testimony and let God get glory out of what you're facing. Let's bow together tonight with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Musicians going to come to the piano. The altar is open. Be a good time to meet the Lord in the altar. You might have some walls in your life, some obstacles, some things too big, too steep, too broad for you to be able to face. And you say, preacher, I feel like all I'm doing is just walking around staring at them walls. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. And I'm begging God. To intervene. Won't you come down and commit in your heart and mind? There's one of these things God's dealt with you about, or maybe He's dealt with you about all of them. Won't you come down and resolve in your heart and spirit and say, now Lord, I'm going to make sure that as I'm walking around this city, I don't lose my testimony. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name with our heads bowed, our eyes bowed.